appreciate you. I got this. We're good. Appreciate you, my friend. Been uh, been good to get to know Pastor Doug and Pastor Gene and and Nathan and and of course Brother Bob Burton, good friend. And uh, it's been encouraging to see what God has done through True Life. I want to invite you to take your Bibles if you have them and turn to Second Corinthians chapter five. We're going to look at verses seventeen through twenty two today. You know, uh, from time to time, people get bored with their lives, don't they? They, they need a change of pace. I heard a story recently about a guy, apparently, who needed a change of pace. His name was Larry Walters. Larry was a 33-year-old man who was living in the Los Angeles area, and he decided that one day when he was bored, he wanted to see what his neighborhood looked like, not from this angle, but from this angle above. And so Larry decides he's going to go down to the local Army surplus store one morning, and he buys 45 used weather balloons. Now, weather balloons have been in the news quite a bit lately, right? But Larry buys these weather balloons, and that afternoon he goes home, and he straps himself into a lawn chair, to which several of his friends took those 45 weather balloons, now filled with helium, and put them on that lawn chair, Larry packed himself a few peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, a six-pack of beer, and a BB gun. And Larry's thinking was this. He would go into the air about 100 feet so he could see what his neighborhood looked like. And uh, when he started to get too high, he would shoot down the balloons with the BB gun. But Larry probably at this point was inebriated. Let's just go out on faith and say that. And, and Larry begins to lift up, and he doesn't lift up 100 feet or 200 feet or 300 feet. Larry lifts up 1,100 feet above the air into the airspace of the Los Angeles region uh, airport, LAX. Larry shuts down traffic all over the country because of his foolishness nearly causes accidents, and when they finally get him down, the police, of course, arrested him, and they asked Larry three questions. These were the questions. Number one, were you scared? Yes, Larry said. Number two, would you do it again? No, Larry said. He probably wasn't from Oklahoma, Nathan. An Okie probably would have said, sure. The third question was, why did you do it? Now, listen to Larry's response. He said, because you can't just sit there. (laughs) You can't just sit there. So many people in our society, they share the same sentiment of Larry Walters. They are bored with their lives. They are dissatisfied with their lives. They are frustrated with their lives. They are unhappy with their lives. As a matter of fact, if we were to summarize these people's lives, it would be summarized in one word. They are restless. Have you ever had those nights where you drank too much coffee or, or tea or whatever it is your caffeinated beverage of choice is, and you maybe had afternoon meetings, and you say, well, I'll just get to drink a couple more cups of coffee to kind of get myself up over that hump. And, and then what happens, though? You drink caffeine too late into the night, and you try to fall asleep, and you just sit there, and you kick your legs, and you think, and all this kind of stuff. You're restless. And that's what I would say is 
our society today. Our society is restless. We're trying to entertain. We're trying to satisfy. We're trying to fill our lives with things that were never created to give us genuine meaning. This restlessness truly comes when people do not know why they exist. What am I supposed to do with my life? Am I supposed to go to this college or Am I supposed to go to that college? Am I supposed to become a plumber? Am I supposed to become an electrician? Am I supposed to be a teacher? Am I supposed to start a business? Am I supposed to travel around the world? What am I supposed to do with my life? But what if I were to tell you this morning that if you walk through these doors on spring break weekend and you're asking yourself that question, you're actually asking the wrong question for your life. It's not about, am I supposed to go left, or am I supposed to go right? Am I supposed to go to this university or that university? Am I supposed to do this trade or that trade? You see, because while we rack our brains trying to figure out exactly what we're supposed to do with our lives, God says, I've already got a plan for your life. I've already got a purpose for your life. I've already got a meaning for your life. The Westminster Shorter Catechism was written years ago in the 1600s. It's comprised of 107 questions. The first question, however, is intended to summarize the entirety of the Christian doctrine, what we believe as Christians. The first question is the most important question, and it's this. What is the chief, the primary, the top, the very important end of man? Why do we exist? The answer to that question is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is why we exist. It is to bring God, our creator, glory with the lives that he's created. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul says this in Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now there are many ways in which we bring God glory with our lives. But specifically this morning, I want us to see that we bring God glory in our lives when we live our lives on mission for his glory. Let me say that again. We bring God glory with our lives when we live our lives for the glory of God. Now the next logical question is how do we live on mission in this world? How do we show the love of Christ to our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our coworkers? There's lots of ways we do this. We had a saying up in Toronto that we uh, adapted and we said this, good deeds lead to good news. And so there's a lot of ways that you can demonstrate good deeds in the name of Christ. When you're taking your trash down to the end of the driveway, you can take your neighbor's trash down to the end of the driveway. Where we were, when you'd get like five feet of snow and you're out shoveling your driveway, you can help shovel your elderly neighbor's driveway. You can pass out bottles of water on a hot summer day. You can go on a mission trip. You can help with a vacation Bible school. There's all kinds of ways that you can do good deeds. But good deeds must always lead to good news. This is what separates the Christian church from the rest of society. All of society would agree with the statement I just said. We should all do nice things for people. Because why? Well, we want to be nice. We want to be good earthly citizens, right? But what separates kingdom people, 
those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ and people who have not done those things is that when we serve in the name of Christ, our ultimate goal, our ultimate desire is to bring, is to usher into the kingdom of God. We want people to repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in King Jesus. Why? Because only in that moment will they discover their true meaning for life. Only in that moment will they discover a real purpose. The best way to show the love of Christ is to share the love of Christ. But statistically this morning, we are not doing that. 98% of the church in North America does not share their faith on a regular basis. 98% of Christians do not share their faith on a regular basis. I was preaching at a conference once. I shared that statistic, and a nice, well-intended brother came up to me afterwards. He said, Matt, I just can't believe that. I said, well, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, did you share the gospel with anybody this past week? And he said, no, I didn't get around to it. I said, who did you share the gospel with last week? And he said, well, I didn't. I said, who did you share the gospel with this month? And he said, well, I I didn't. I said, who have you shared the gospel with in the past two months? And he kind of got quiet. And I said, do you believe this statistic now? The majority of The Christian faith does not share that faith on a regular basis. Oftentimes, when we go down this road in the church and in a sermon, and we talk about living our life on mission, we want to get to the how. We major on the how, especially and particularly as Baptists. We, we think we need another sermon or we need another tool or we need another lesson. And oftentimes as pastors and as leaders, we think that if we could just give you another tool to put in your pocket, then you're going to become the next Billy Graham. If we could just teach you how to share your faith better, then we're going to see all kinds of baptisms here and all kinds of incredible things. But what I want to do today is I want to just be very frank with you. I, I think we have plenty of resources. I think we have enough tools on how to share our faith. What I want to do today is I want to remind us of who. I want to remind you, I want to remind myself of whose we are. Because it's only with a good understanding of of Christ, it's only with a good understanding of the Spirit living within us, it's only within a good understanding of knowing and understanding our purpose and whose we are, well, then we get passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I don't want to give you another tool today on how to share and how to live our lives on mission. I want to remind us of our new identity. I want us to see four reasons in this text and how we love this world and how we live our lives on mission. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. 
so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Within these six verses, we see some of the most profound and rich and deepest truths in all of Scripture. And I want us to look through this text today, and I want us to be reminded of whose we are. And by the time we finish today, my, my heart and my prayer and my goal is this, that we would have a renewed desire and passion for the lostness all around us. First of all, this morning, you and I, we can live our lives on mission when we understand this. When we repent of our sins and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we become a new person. We become new people. That's what Paul says here. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, if you are here this morning as a follower of Jesus, I have good news to tell you. You may still wrestle with certain sins. You may still, even as the Bible says, that the spirit and the flesh battle and war against one another all the time. You may still daily battle with the flesh every single day. But based upon the authority of the word of God, I tell you this morning this. The old person has died in you. And the new person has come. The moment you repented of your sins and said, Christ, come into my life, transform me, renew me, change me, something miraculous happened. You became a new person. Now, when people looked at you, they may not be able to see that you were a new person because you still have the same features, you still have the, all those kinds of things. But, but when they now see your life, they don't see the old person. They see a new person. They see a new creature. What were the old things for you? What were the old things in your life before you began a personal relationship with Christ? Now, they are different for nearly every single person. I had a young person tell me once, I wish I had a stronger testimony. I said, well, unpack that for me. Tell me what that means. I said, well, I heard this story about this guy. He was a crack addict, and God saved him out of that. And I said, praise God you don't got that story. And praise God that that brother has that story. Amen. We don't get to control our testimonies, but I'll tell you this right now. That young teen was on his way to hell. That crack addict was on his way to hell. Until Christ came and said, I'm going to go into a sin-sick world and all the darkness and all the muck and all the mire. And I'm going to make a way when there was no way. And I'm going to make... An old person, a new person. See, our testimonies are not based on about how bad we were, about all the bad things we did. Here's the starting point. All of us are depraved when we are born into this world. All of us have a sin nature when we're born into this world. A parent told me once, I don't know if I believe that. I said, just wait. You're not going to have to teach your little baby how to bite you someday. Can I get a witness? You're not going to have to teach your 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 your, your uh, your, your older child, not to be jealous when that younger child is born and wants to smack him in the head someday when you're not looking, right? You're not going to have to teach them any of those things. You know why? Because your child is born just like you were born with sin in their heart. But God says, I'm going to make something new out of that. I don't know what your old things were. But Paul says in verse 17 that new things have come. New things have come into our lives. We, we may have read the Bible before, 
out of religious responsibility or out of roteness. But, but now we read it, and it's not just a book. It is not just words on pages, but now it's alive. We, we may have walked through the woods before and kind of noticed, wow, this is a beautiful day. But now when we walk through the woods on a nice autumn day, and when we see every squirrel that darts in and out, and we see as the leaves change colors, or even we got a little bit of snow yesterday and we see a snowdrop fall, now every single piece of God's creation hollers, Glory to God in the highest. You didn't see it like that before. You just complained about the nasty weather. You just celebrated about the nice spring change that came. But now when we look outside and we see the sun shining, or now when we see the moon up in the sky, we give glory to God. We praise our creator. Why? Because he has made the old new. It's why we have to be careful not to get so angry and frustrated with people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because they're blind spiritually. Just like you and I were blind spiritually. They are old people. They cannot see the things that you and I see because they've not been made new. The new things have come into our lives. The author of this book is an excellent example of new things, is he not? Paul used to be Saul, and with the same kind of passion that he now plants churches and preaches the gospel, and through the inspiration of the power of the Holy Spirit, writes 13 New Testament epistles, he persecuted the church. He hated God's people. He hated God. He was an enemy of God. But God came into his life, and he said, I'm going to make the old person new. And after his conversion, Paul's ministry was compelled by the fact that he wanted to display Christ's love to every single person he met. Paul had been united to Christ through his death and resurrection, and he was a new person. And when he became a new person, he began to look at things in a new way. One commentator says this, and I quote, Now the shadow of Christ's cross fell across Paul's view every time he looked at other people. He saw believers as new creations in Christ and unbelievers. Let me ask you this question before I read this sentence. Do you agree and do you see with what this commentator writes about Paul's life? He saw believers as new creations in Christ and unbelievers as people in need of Christ. So when the family member that everybody wants to gossip about because they are that person, do you join in or do you pray? When the person cuts you off in traffic and you want to, in your flesh, tell them that they're number one, do you stop and pray because they're acting like unbelievers or do you retaliate? How do you spend your time and energy when it comes to unbelievers around you? This perspective shaped Paul's ministry. See, there's so many Christians today that say, amen, I'm a new person. But my question to you is this, before we move on to our second point. Is what Christ has done in your life actually impacting the way in which you live your life? You say, well, I'm a new person. Can other people see it? Or are we just in line with how the world acts and operates? How can you reach the world for Christ because you're a new person with new motives? Secondly, today, we can live our lives on mission because you have been given a new position. Not, not only are we new people, but now theologically, we have a new position. Let me explain. 
Look at verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. You know what that is right there, friends? You know, you know what Paul is saying right here in verse 21? That's the gospel. Somebody says, what's the gospel? The gospel is the fact that you and I were born into sin. The gospel is the fact that we could never get back to a holy, righteous, perfect God. And yet God, because he so loved the world, he sent us his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross and to pay a debt that we just sung about that we could never pay. That's the gospel, It's called imputed righteousness. You and I are not righteous before that God. You and I have no access to that God. we got to get our heads around that and our hearts around that this morning. You and I had no way to get to our creator. None. There was not enough prayers you could pray. There was not enough scripture you could read. There were not enough religious activities that you could perform to get back to a perfect, holy, righteous God. And yet God, in his infinite love and grace and mercy and kindness, sent us his son, Jesus. That's why we're here today. That's whom we're celebrating today. That's whom we're worshiping today. You have a new position because of what Christ has done. You didn't earn it. I can't earn it. Only but through the shed blood of Christ can we stand before a righteous God. He took our sins. Martin Luther has a quote. I want to read it to you in just a moment. But if you're here today and you are a Christ follower, you you, you hear what I just now said and you say, yes, I believe that. I have a new position before God based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. But I don't always feel like a Christian. I don't always feel like I'm saved. Can I just be perfectly honest with you this morning? I'm going to get in my car and go, and I'm not a member here, so I can sell all kinds of things, I guess. But your feelings don't have anything to do with anything. When it comes to salvation, it doesn't matter if you feel saved or not. It doesn't matter if you feel justified or not. You've got to go back to what the Word of God says about your position. You've got to go back to what the Scripture says about your standing before God. That is why we must always open and preach this book. Because the authority does not lie within Pastor Gene or Pastor Doug or Brother Bob or any other leader in this church. Or The authority this morning doesn't lie with Matt Hess. The authority starts and stops with the Word of God. God help us. In the church, in the West, and particularly today in North America, we are obsessed with how we feel. I don't feel like giving the gospel to anybody today. Well, okay, get in your feelings then, and that person will go to hell then. Well, I don't feel like being a blessing or an encouragement to a fellow church member today on a Sunday. Well, okay, that's fine. Somebody has come in here this morning discouraged, and because you want to get in your feelings, they're going to leave this building discouraged. We are obsessed with our feelings. And here's the problem. We think that we are entitled always to our feelings. But can I just let you in on a secret today? Most of the time, our feelings are lies. Listen to this quote by Martin Luther. 
Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. The Bible says all Satan does all day long is accuse the brethren. He stands and he accuses you. That means he lies to you. He's a deceiver. This is his name. This is what he's titled as. He's the author of confusion and deception and deceit and lying. That's all he does. He's lying to you today about your marriage. He's lying to you today about your child. He's lying to you today about your current circumstances. He's lying to you today about your future. He lies. And the problem with following our feelings is that oftentimes we are following the enemy's deception. So what do we do? What's the answer? We go back to this book. We go back to this truth. What does the Bible say? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. I am righteous today. Not because how good I am. Not because I don't say bad words when I get angry. None of that. I'm righteous today based upon the authority of the word of God and based upon the blood of Jesus Christ, period. Period. But here's the thing. Our new position in Christ has absolutely nothing to do with how we feel, but rather about what Jesus has done. So we don't live our lives on mission because we do not understand our position. We think, well, who am I? I I can't do this. I can't do that. Yeah, you're right. You can't. And that's why we have to always go back to square one. We're new people with a new position. And finally this morning, because of those two first truths, the third truth comes. We have a new purpose. We have a new purpose. Look at verses 18 through 20. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely that God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Have you ever heard of that phrase, this is where the rubber hits the road? This is where the rubber hits the road of our, our, our sermon this morning. Verse 18, Paul says that Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You know what that means? means that every single saint that has trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior has a ministry here today. It's not just built on the backs of quote-unquote professional ministers who went to seminary or whatever it may have been. The kingdom of God actually goes on the tracks of obedient, faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Regardless of your education today, regardless of how little or how much you know of the Bible, the kingdom expands through the obedience of God's people. All of us have the responsibility and the privilege to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes people ask me, Matt, explain church planting. I say, well, how much time do you have today, right? But explain church planting. But here's like the big encompassing view. We plant churches to reach lost people. We plant churches, we are building a kingdom outpost. 
We, we are building a, a, a city on a hill. We, we, we are building a, a, a wall, if you will, a, a fortress, if you will, where we will say this is where the Bible is proclaimed, that Christ is king, and that repentance is necessary in order to find the purpose for your life. That's church planting. Because we're not satisfied with, with people going to hell from where we are in our communities. And so we start churches to reach and to push back that darkness with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Matt, I'm not sure if that's really for me. Can I just say to you today, it's called the Great Commission, and it's a command. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The great commission, not the great suggestion. But if you get around to that, if you think you're gifted for that, if you feel like you're equipped to that, look what verse 20 says. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Let me ask you a question today. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents another country. An ambassador represents another kingdom. Like Pastor Doug said, our family has been in Toronto for the past 10, 11 years planting churches and we moved there with three kids, and we had our Canadian baby in Canada, and her name's Cadence. And somebody came up to us uh, after a friend in the family came up to us and said, you know, you have to claim her citizenship, her American citizenship. And we said, what? Like, I'm American, Erica's American, why do we have to claim her citizenship? And they said, yeah, you got six months to claim her citizenship, or she's just going to be Canadian. Well, we couldn't allow that to happen, right? So we... We, uh, we, we, we went down to the, um, to the American embassy in Toronto. And guess what? You, there's an ambassador's house there and all that thing. And he represents America in a foreign land. And today I want to remind you that you represent Christ, the king, and his kingdom in a foreign land. You know why sometimes you get so frustrated and you see things on the news or your workplace or your school place or whatever it might be and you just feel like, man, you know, it's just like, I, 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 you may even say this out loud, I, I don't belong here. Yeah, you're on to something right there with that statement. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. And oftentimes, because we are so fixated and focused on the things around us in this temporary land, we have forgotten that we were not made for this land. That someday, ultimately, we're going to go to our final home. A new country, the Bible says. I want to encourage you and remind you today that as followers of Jesus Christ, you are representing Christ. How are we doing with that? Did you notice what Paul says after we're ambassadors? He says three things to complete our passage this morning. Number one, verse 20, as though God were making an appeal through us. Number one, we are God's mouthpieces. We are God's mouthpieces. We have got to share the gospel in order to see people's lives changed. Nobody ever got saved through osmosis. Every single Christian in this room today, somebody shared the gospel with you, either through this template in a sermon or knocking on a door or wherever it might be. 
somebody, your mom, your dad, a stranger, a neighbor, somebody shared the good news of Jesus Christ with you. We are to be God's mouthpiece. 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. I don't understand it. Why God would use a dummy like me to proclaim the truth of his word, but he has. And every single time for 23 plus years, I'm always humbled and I'm always amazed every single week as I prepare and labor over the text that he would use somebody like me to get up and to preach his truth. But it's not just about sermons. He, he wants to use me in a restaurant to share my faith with the, the server. He wants to year, use me in, in the aisle of a grocery store to share the gospel with the, 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 the person that works there. He wants to use me in every setting that I walk into. And he wants to use you. Why? Because you are representing him. You are the ambassador in that moment. Don't, don't, don't say to yourself today, well, not me. I'm, I'm not good with words. Remember Moses? Oh, not me. Don't say not me today. Say, why not me? Secondly, we are to passionately plead with people. He says, we beg you on behalf of Christ. I'm going to say a couple things now, and, and you tell me if you've heard these things before. Well, I don't want to come off as too pushy. Well, I don't want to shove religion down my family members' throats. Hey, let me ask you a question. Is our society shoving anything down anybody's throats right now? And like my pastor mentor always says, do this. Yes. Your children and you personally, all of us in this room, we are constantly being indoctrinated to believe something one way or the other in our society. Turn on the radio, you are being indoctrinated. Turn on the TV, you are being indoctrinated. Sit in on a school members meeting, you are being indoctrinated. Open up a book, you are being indoctrinated. And I believe Satan has used this in the heart of so many Christians, well, you know, you're going to come off as pushy. You're, you're going to come off as this. But those same Christians don't have a problem declaring in, in, in indie relationships on Thanksgiving Day because of politics or because of their favorite football team. We get so passionate about so many things. But then we take this position when we talk about the gospel. Well, I don't want to come off as pushy. I don't want to shove anything. no. Paul says, I beg you, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Why? Why does he say, I beg you on behalf of Christ? Because heaven is real and hell is hot. And someday when we leave this world, every single human being on the face of this planet will spend eternity in one or two of those places. They will either go to heaven for all time be in constant fellowship, worshiping the King of kings, the Lord of lords, or they will be cast out of the presence of a perfect, holy, righteous God because he cannot be in the presence of sin, and they will spend eternity in hell. How cruel is it that we have this truth, that we know this message, and we don't tell anybody because we're afraid we might offend them or hurt their feelings. Can I just say this today? Christ didn't care about hurting people's feelings. You say, well, how dare you? He was so meek and mild and gentle and all these kinds of things. What about the rich young ruler? What about the rich young ruler? Tell me how I can have eternal life. Tell me. Well, that's, that's cool. Go sell everything you have and then come and follow me. And, and he's like, some of the saddest words of Scripture. He goes away what, church? Sad. 
sad because he wasn't willing to pay the price to follow Jesus. Now the question is this, did Jesus say, no way, come back. Come back. Okay, just, just sell some stuff. I'll, I'll kind of lessen. No, 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 no. The cost to follow Jesus is great. He said, well, why do you say all that, Matt? Because oftentimes there's a price to be paid. Yeah. Who cares if the block, when you pull in the, at night, the block, every single neighbor's like, that's the weird guy. He's always talking about Jesus. At Easter, he's always passing out the Easter invitations to true life. Like, she's the weird one. She, she's the one always taking illustrations from the Bible and talking about how they relate to our lives and all that kind of stuff. Who cares what they think? Who cares what the world thinks? We are obsessed with what people think about us. And until we become consumed with what our king thinks about us as his subjects, we will never live our lives on mission. Because we will always be worried about what other people think. We are to passionately plead with people. Jesus says this in Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. Jesus pleaded with passion. Thirdly, we are to ask and then leave the results up to God. We beg you on behalf of Christ... Be reconciled to God. You and I aren't saving a soul. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit draws people to the Father. And the only means in which anybody is truly, genuinely, authentically born again and becomes new people, it's not through our words. Let me, let me, let me just take some of that weight off your shoulders today. You say, well, I'm... I, I don't know what to always say to the waiter. I don't know. Just obey. I could tell you story after story after story of people who just obeyed and people's lives were transformed and changed forever. Why? Because God's saints obeyed. All we have to do is leave the results up to God. Early in my ministry, I'd preach sermons like this and I'd get so worked up thinking that it had something to do with me. It ain't got a thing to do with me. I'm going to sleep perfectly well tonight. Regardless of the circumstances of what I can visibly see today. Because I've done my part. And when we share the gospel, all we have to do is do our part and then leave the results up to God. How do we live on mission for Christ? Understand that you're a new person. Given a new position theologically. When God sees you, he sees his son. Praise Jesus. And we have a new purpose. You say, Matt, that's amazing. Praise God. But I've heard sermons like this before. And to be honest, I've heard sermons like this all my life. And nothing's changed. I still don't share the gospel. I still don't stay up at night concerned and worried about lost people. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. You know, oftentimes we listen to sermons like this and we think, well, I'm going to change. That's it. I'm going to stop being like this apathetic Christian. I'm going to change. 
I'm going to start sharing the gospel starting tomorrow. And even as I preach today, you've had names run through your mind. You've had faces go through your mind, family members, friends, neighbors that you need to share the gospel with. Maybe that you've prayed to give their lives to Christ. And you say, I'm going to go to that person. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You ain't going to do a thing. Until we understand something. When you were born again, you were given a new power. That power is the Holy Spirit. And when he came upon you, Christ says he is the helper. And he is going to help you accomplish everything you need to accomplish to advance the kingdom of God. Early in my ministry, in 2004, I got out of the Marine Corps and came home and uh, looking for a church to serve in, selling cell phones in Tulsa at Cricket and uh, always on the road back and forth between Claremore and Tulsa. And I was concerned, you know, for my young bride, Erica. And so I wanted to meet some of the neighbors. So I went next door to my neighbor that was closest to us and I introduced myself. And he said, my name's Terry Lawson. And he said, well, he's an older brother. He said, what what, what are you doing, Matt? I said, well, I just got out of the Marine Corps. I'm selling cell phones in Tulsa, but my heart is out. I really want to preach. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, "Uh, man, that's awesome. He said, I'm actually the pastor of a church nearby and we're looking for a youth pastor. Now there's a lot of pros and cons to living next to your senior pastor as a young student pastor. But uh, anyways, he was a godly man and he loved the word of God. I learned so many things from him. And I preached often on Sunday nights. That was part of my responsibilities. Uh, Back then we used to do a lot of Sunday night preaching and all those things. And he would meet with me on Monday mornings and he would go over with the sermon with me. And so we met one Monday after I preached and he said, Matt, that message last night was so good. I said, well, thanks, Brother Terry. That's great. And he's like, you said this. And man, I was just like, wow, amen, you know. And then you said that. And I was just like, that's good. I'm, I'm really getting into this. Like, I'm really encouraged. And I'm, think, I'm like, yeah, this is nice. And then he says, but. And I thought, uh-oh. You, know, you ever been in those conversations with somebody and they're like kind of buttering you up and then they say, but. And you're just like, oh, wow. And he said, but. You kept referencing the Holy Spirit as an it, as a thing. He said, Matt, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a full-fledged member of the Holy Trinity of God. Matt, it's it's impossible. You're incapable of doing anything to advance the kingdom of God without the power of the Holy Spirit on your lives. He said, Matt, you can't do anything without the Holy Spirit in your lives. See, I wasn't raised Baptist. And I definitely wasn't raised Southern Baptist. I was brought up in a movement of heresy called the Word of Faith Movement, the Prosperity Gospel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I heard so much bad theology around the Holy Spirit. I had overcorrected. And oftentimes as Baptists, if we're not careful, we like to say, when we talk about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And what happens if we do that is we take out our power, we take out our anointing, we take out our, our fire. And without 
the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't do any of this stuff that we talked about today. So don't leave and go home and think, I'm going to become this super evangelist. Leave and go home and meditate on what we've talked about today and say, only through the power of the Holy Spirit am I going to be able to obey this. Make yourself needy and weak because God delights in those postures, not in I can do this on my own. Remember how we started out today? The knucklehead that got into the lawn chair and started to float away? Remember the answer to his third question? Because you can't just sit there. Hey, you can take this message. You can toss it to side. You can disobey it. Or you can obey it. You have several options today, but you can't just sit there. If you're here in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I just want to tell you, in love, you have no purpose. You say, well, I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a student. And you have no purpose without Christ. Why? Because he created you. He made you to exist to bring him glory. And so today, if you're in this room and you've never repented of your sins and placed your trust and faith in Christ Jesus, today, cast yourself on the mercies of God. His mercy is truly more. But if you're in this room today as a follower of Jesus, ask yourself this question. Am I living on mission? Am I telling others about Christ? Do I remember I'm a new person? Do I remember I have a purpose? Do I remember I have a new power with a new position? Or am I just getting through my life? Worship team's gonna come in just a moment. And as they come, I want us to begin to prepare our hearts. How will we obey what the Spirit has spoken to us today? That we would live our lives on mission and build the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege to be in your house. God, you don't owe us a thing. You never have. If you would have left us to our depravity and to our demise and we would have been cast into the outer pits of darkness, it's what we deserve. But because you so love the world, Thank you. Thank you for showing your love to us. Thank you for making us new people. God, maybe someone's here today and they say, man, I'm a Christian, but I sure don't look like it. They're living like old people. Remind us today, God, that you've made us new. Holy Spirit, we're helpless and we're hopeless without your power. Fill us fresh today so we can obey you and live the lives that you've created us to live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand this morning. As the worship team leads us, let's just obey. Pastor Doug is right up front. I'm going to be right over here if somebody wants to come. Go to somebody you trust. Let's just respond in obedience today as the team leads us.